Hi, welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. I'm already going to say it. We're talking about the best movie of the decade. That's mm-hmm. right. It's not even been a year since we started this podcast, and we're already covering the best movie of the entire decade. And you know, I'll say it too. This is the reason why we started this. I think uh, this is the whole. The whole thing was just constructed around taping ourselves talking about this one movie. Is that true? No, but I think <laughs> I'll weave that story just to make myself believe it's true. Well, you're not wrong in the sense of. We have talked about what's that the best and Black movie Hat. of the decade. I think those two oh, I God. wanted to record no. myself. God, no. We're, how many minutes in are we? We get a Black Hat reference? All right. Oh, <laughs> two? They, two they can't okay. stop. All right. And I want to strangle him each time he mentions that movie. I and I it. love Michael Mann. I love it. But I think, but honestly, you're not wrong to say Moonlight is kind of the reason why we started this podcast because we kept talking about the decade. Mm-hmm. And, and I like you know what's the best of the decade and we kept, kept having those conversations and how weird or interesting the decade's been so in moonlight's definitely up there it's a huge moment for the yeah. entire like for movies in general honestly i wouldn't um, argue i wouldn't argue with you if you said it was the best of the decade i know that a lot of people have love for the social i have love for the social network too and that was like kind of the consensus pick it seemed like at the end of 2019 but no one really talked about moonlight as the best of the decade and that's my top five, if not my number one. Yeah. I mean, that's personally, which is why I'm thrilled to be on this pod right now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, with us is Josh Bradley of Hello. Loving Soaking You. Yes. We never that's wanted to me. shorten that title, did we? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with that when I was 23 as like a vague allusion to a Stephen Colbert book. And, no, yeah. <laughs> and then I just never, never changed it. Never bothered. It's never a good title. To. It's not, but thank you. It's very kind of you. <laughs> it's me- it's at least memorable, you know. Yeah, I, I guess, and descriptive. <laughs> yeah, it gives you everything you need to know. Um, so, what is your history with uh, the Oscars? History with the Oscars. Uh, as I was just telling you guys before we started recording, uh, I was 17, senior in high school, taking my first film class, and that. So I was like already kind of paying attention to like movies for the first time. And that year's Oscars happened to be uh, No Country for Old Men and There Was Blood, Michael Clayton, and uh, Juno, and Atonement, and uh, Assassination of Jesse James. Just like a yeah, one, yeah, one of the best. I mean, honestly, like top to de- top to bottom, look at the movies nominated. It's one of the best year for for Oscar movies and just. Zodiac, we haven't even mentioned Zodiac. That. Yeah, I mean that didn't get any, that didn't get nominated for anything, but that like was still that. I don't know how that didn't get nominated, but that's that, that's a, that's a case against that's a strike against the Oscars, which you know, I feel like we all know that the Oscars are very flawed, but you know they're we love them anyway. But yeah, because of that year, uh, that being the first year where I was like invested, I have been hooked ever since. Yeah, I'm a lot older than you guys, by the way, for your <laughs> listeners. Just a few, just a few years. It's okay. Um, yeah, so 07 was the one that hooked you. I think that was the right the right year because you had, like, the Cohen sweep, right? Yeah, With yeah. Supporting actor, adapted director picture. They they got uh, screenplay director picture, which happened again this year with ah. our guy Bong. <laughs> yeah, director Bong. Bong. Director and, Bong. Um, 
so then that leads us to Moonlight. What well, was everyone's history seeing this one? Oh, um, I saw this in theaters. Um, as did I. As did I. The first time, it's kind of hard to remember in the sense of. I don't know. I remember it being a very special and surreal experience. I knew I had high expectations walking in. Um, and the theater was somewhat crowded, mm-hmm. um, which was surprising, I guess. But it felt apt because this was like obviously an important movie. And like, I remember the gasp or like the silence. Like everyone just like, the, like you could hear a pin drop when he hit the dude with the chair. Mm, yeah. I remember that really vividly in the sense where like ever it's like you could hear like the air being sucked out of the room. Mm-hmm. And I just and that was just something where it was like it was upsetting. It was shocking. I mean, not just that, but the movie in a lot uh, in a lot of places, but also very beautiful. And we're all there just kind of being together. It was very a communal experience, and that's that's sometimes hard for the more quieter movies. I mean, like you can have a great time in theater no matter what movie, but it's harder to have something that special with the the more Oscar-y or the more um, prestige indie movies because you usually think of it like whether it be a blockbuster or a comedy. But that was an, a special experience, um, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it. Maybe not as much as I do now, but I did love it when I saw it. Yeah. I actually double featured this. Um, I don't double feature often, but I double featured with Arrival. Mm, wow. Yeah, and that Whoa. was a very emotional <laughs> day. Jeez. <laughs> this was the year that I started to follow a lot of festivals. Yeah. And I remember these two out of Toronto, I think. This, this, this that sounds right. Or Telluride, but they're, oh, both, one of, they're both fall festivals, yeah. Yeah, they're like a week apart. Yeah. And... Um, I just remember hearing about these two like best of the year. Don't don't read anything going in. Like this is these are just two masterworks and like instant masterpiece. Like wow, this is and someone that's like fresh into this whole world of movies. I I'm trying to still develop my taste around this time. Um, and yeah, just seeing Arrival first and just kind of shaken and then going know. straight into. Um, Moonlight right after. I don't, I don't know how you saw any movie right after Arrival, let alone something like Moonlight. Like Seriously. I, I, needed, I needed time that's, after Arrival. That's true. Myself. I just, yeah, I didn't even like plan on it. I was just like, well, I'm here in this Moonlight one. Um, I was really taken critics by storm. Oh, and I think Moonlight was just leaving theaters mm-hmm. and Arrival was just coming into theaters for me. Yeah, I think they came out so like I a think month th- apart. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, pretty emotional day. Um, that sounds so super draining. Like I, super I, draining. I, I, I but I love them. Imagine. I love them at the same day. <laughs> Again, that's that would have been like maybe the best day of my life, the hardest day. But you know, <laughs> not hardest, but you know what I mean. Um, I also saw it in theaters. I don't remember. I wish I remembered like the details of the theatrical experience, like you do, Clay, because that's that's really cool that you like have that uh, have those specifics in mind. Um, I just remember, I don't remember knowing much about it beforehand. I know there was acclaimed out of either Toronto or Telluride. I don't remember which, but um, I knew nothing about it. Uh, I didn't know who Barry Jenkins was. Uh, I only knew 
Mahershala Ali from House of Cards at the time. And uh, yeah, it just it floored me right away. And um, I, I knew immediately that it was the best movie I'd seen that year. It was the best movie I'd seen in several years. Like I had that take right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that La La Land was coming because I was such a big fan of Whiplash. So like I wasn't I was still like holding out my stop my spot for top movie of the year because La La Land was still two months away. But like as soon as I walked out of Moonlight, I'm like, that's going to be hard to top. That was, yeah. you know that was something special and uh I, I still feel that way that's something special and uh i mean little did i know that the you know legacies of moonlight and la la land would be so intertwined for mm. for forever moving forward but yeah we'll get there um yes sure we will that's another thing that i remember as well knowing nothing about it and having such high expectations but it's not like going into it like we went into with um like once upon a time yeah or it's like well, we just know a lot all more the known players. entities there, but, yeah. True, but I, not just um, the filmmaker, but also the actors. True. Yes, one. yes. I didn't even know Mahershala. Um, mm. I didn't know Janelle Monae. I didn't. I only knew. Well, this is her first role. This is Janelle Monae's first acting job. No. As no far way. as I know. And then uh, in Figures a few months later. Uh, I think it was the next. Was it was this year? Was it? Or was it yeah. next year? Yeah. It, it is, that. and also Mahershala was in that as well. He was. That's yeah. yeah. That's right. You guys are right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, good year um, for both of them. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a very special experience. Can I can I say where I first experienced the greatness that is Mahershala Ali? I think I know the answer. Uh, guess. <laughs> it's Luke Cage. No, yeah, it's Luke Cage. Yeah, why wouldn't it be anything else? Why? <laughs> because was well, it Luke Cage be House was of Cards? It, no, of course not. No, Luke, Luke Cage was the same year. Um, but actually, I just looked it up. I saw moonlight in january early january because it was one of the you know it's that's usually when you see the oscar picks because it's like you know uh, when those nominations come out they get released yeah exactly and they're released wide or um but like uh, like luke cage was september and i'm a big superhero head and he's great in that he's fucking awesome and they killed his character off like midway through the season and it's one of like the most and they regretted decisions. that <laughs> oh yeah a hundred percent it's the showrunner was like i really fucked that up Yo, I mean, like they it, didn't, they didn't know what was gonna nate happen. did not know but i mean even then he still even if he wasn't this popular he was just so great on screen and they kind of bungled the rest of the season um it's one of the most infamous decisions i'm aware of in like tv shows i love um and i mean i don't know if i love luke cage it was a good show my culture's great but that's the first time I saw him, and I'm like, holy shit, he should be he should be in a villain in in everything. And then he's this like super sympathetic guy. I saw two minutes, uh, two months later. I'm like, oh no, he's just a great actor. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that he um, was good in the show because he is like he's such a presence. He was he didn't have like he didn't have a big role in House of Cards by any means. Um, he's kind of just like a walk on player, like just would walk in for a few scenes and like maybe being like a few episodes a season, but he, he was a presence man. And like you, like, that's why I recognize him, even though house of cards was like kind of done by 2017. Like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that guy. So, and uh, Barry Jenkins talks about how, like when he doesn't appear in like the second two thirds of the movie, like that's a a jarring thing. Cause he is such a presence in the first third that when he's gone, like there's a, a void left, you know, it reminds me of Ryan Gosling in place beyond the pines. Yeah. Wait, is that spoiler? Oh, yeah. oh wait. Oh. 
That movie I, I, it doesn't matter. I think I've heard it, buddy. That's <laughs> my bad. Ooh, um, all right. That's a, good, um, that's, a good, that's a good poll, though. <laughs> shit, yeah. But, but at least with Place Beyond the Pines and Ryan Gosling, like, you see why he's not mm-hmm. in the rest of the movie. And with, with Juan and Moon, yeah. her yeah. child character, there's no... There's nothing spoken. He's just not there anymore. Let's say they leave on purpose. They don't, right? Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) Okay, two things. One, if you ever want to see Marshall Ali just hamming it the fuck up, go, like, on YouTube, there's plenty of, like, clips of Luke Cage and him on Luke Cage. You don't even need to watch the whole show. Just him monologuing about, like, 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 him as just, like, a crime boss. It's incredibly intoxicating. Um, second, um, that was my stupid, like, the reason why I love this movie more is because I was very stupid when I was in 2017, and I was very dumb, and my criticism, like, coming out was like, oh, I wanted more of Mahershala, that mean, you know, they really screwed that up, or not really, but, like, I just was like, that was my one nitpick, and now I look back at that child, and I want to beat the shit out of him. Right, um, was it, like, coming out of the cinema, was it, like, guys, where'd he go? Yeah, honestly. he just leave? Yeah. I was like... I, I thought he was like a great like I thought he was had this great like performance and that everyone was talking about him and you know he's like in ten minutes of the movie. Guys, this, this is unfair. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Robbed. God, I, I I sometimes think about that person. I just think, oh, bad. You're a bad bad person. No. I, um, I have I have video evidence of all my bad takes from when I was younger. So. Boy. Be glad you didn't record your thoughts coming out <laughs> of this movie. I guess. I mean I. <sighs> I mean, I still loved it, but I still, like, that was, like, my major nitpick of the movie. And I'm like, you're dumb. Um, These are, like, the pros and cons of, like, letting people under 18 use the internet. Watch movies. Yeah. And then, watch movies, yeah. yeah. Watch movies in general, but yeah. No, that's I definitely. I seeing like, I look, 15, 16-year-olds on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah, that's like, the thing. I can relate to that, yeah. I look at back at my Letterboxd, like, just, like, two years ago, even, like, I just look at that and I'm like, oh my god! Like I gave like Justice League four stars and I'm like, what is wrong with you as a person? And Wait, is that a I, movie? Yeah, unfortunately. I don't think uh, that it exists. Uh, I think I think they released an unfinished cut, is what I hear. <laughs> oh yeah, I hear there's this other thing that's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that was like copied homework. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, but. Don't yeah, regret I, liking a movie, by the way. It's okay that you, you know, feel differently about it now, but don't like beat yourself up for liking something at the time. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm more yeah. surprised and like kind of like perplexed instead of like being mad. I was just like, what with, huh? Um, that's fair. But yeah. But I mean, but I always knew this movie was good. That's the one thing I, I had to tell myself was like, I knew this movie was pretty fucking great. Um, and I was really glad it won Best Picture. I don't. I forget if I liked initially La La Land or Moonlight more. I'm guessing I liked Moonlight more, but I was really happy it won. I I loved La La Land, but um, I'll say this: I haven't watched La La Land since since 2017, and I've watched Moonlight many times. Yeah. And I've like studied Moonlight. I've not studied La La Land. I remember. Yeah, I've only seen it. I, the last time I saw La La Land was in theaters. I remember loving both and, and was confused why there were camps. Of like, no, you're either one of the two. You have to pick. Yeah, but I mean, I was, I was like, same boat, yeah. I, yeah, so I was um, I was a little nervous why we just couldn't love both like I did. But I'm with you. I, I've seen this movie way more than I have, La La Land. 
That Even I, though I still it, haven't lost affection for Lala. Yeah, I want to just say that. Like, I'm gonna, yeah. you know, these movie, these two movies were like again pitted against each other for a number of complicated reasons, both before the Oscars and now after the Oscars, their legacies are forever mm-hmm. tied together. But I, as much as I love this movie, that doesn't mean I dislike Lala Land any yeah. by any stretch. I love Lala Land so but much again, so that I remember right after the ceremony, uh, Giselle and Jenkins had to like come onto the cover of Vanity Fair or something. Be like, guys, we're friends. I swear, we're friends. Yeah. Look at us. We're hugging each other. We're on a park bench yeah, yeah. with our Oscars. Yeah. Wasn't that before though? Actually, no, I thought it was, that was, after, it was the morning after. I, I oh, they must have. Then they must have done that before though. Mm-hmm. They probably released it. The okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember. It was that. just timing. It was the timing thing then. Definitely. Um, should we get they, into the nominations? Go for it. Yeah. Do you remember the narratives at all? Like, was Mahershala a lock? as soon as it premiered or anything like that not as soon as it premiered but you know he was i, th- I think immediately in the conversation mm-hmm. um by the time the Oscars came around he was like a, a you know odds on favorite and a, a lock but uh like i mean again this movie hit it premiered in early september it hit theaters limited in october i, I don't know if anyone was like etching his name on the oscar at that point but like he was certainly like you know talked about as a possibility um i honestly don't remember who else was nominated this year for supporting actor just because i can i can read that now actually go for it because i I do know Uh, that by the time the options rolled around he was yeah he was a lock yeah yeah i remember that too i think he was the favorite um i just forget who was his second um who was behind him so i think i I know i know the second okay uh tell me after okay jeff bridges for Hot Hell or High Water. Water. Mm-hmm. Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Dev Patel for Lion. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest one of the whole bunch, Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. <laughs> That's a weird one. That's the, That so was the... Weird. I mean, no complaints of when Michael Shannon's involved in anything, but... <laughs> this is um, true. Dev Patel was definitely the other possibility because he's kind of the lead in Lion a bit. I mean, that's like a... Yeah, I thought he was the lead. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's a... It's kind of a bifurcated two halves movie, and he's yes, like that's what I was the lead say, of yeah. the second half. Okay, I haven't seen And like, that. you could also make a case that you know Juan Mahershala Ali's Mahershal character is the lead of his portion, but he's only in a third of the movie. Yeah, but he is the lead of that third to some yeah. extent. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could argue Jeff Bridges is the lead as well, I, or I, one of the leads. I would definitely make that argument that he's yeah. There's he's a lot of screen time. Going on I thought there. that uh, Lucas was the second. Um. Because it was like a new front runner, like we should yeah. anoint him while he's young, kind of narrative. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Like, I have to look at like who won the SAG and all that stuff. But I'm pretty sure Dev Patel like won some precursor awards. I'm pretty sure he won the BAFTA. I want to say. Well, that's also because number he's one, British. he's British, and also the BAFTAs has a problem with black people uh, awarding <laughs> them. So, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, yeah, what did is, something happen is this that year a, that might you know? Do we, prove do that we want to go into this at all, or do we want to just no. let that comment go and just send uh, it into the ether? <laughs> I'll just say that uh, Denzel Washington, with his nine Oscar nominations and two wins, has never been nominated for a BAFTA. Yeah, what's wrong with him? Oh, yeah, okay. how long do we have? It's not like he's a great actor or anything. And just yeah, let that go, and we can move on. <laughs> but boy, yeah. So yeah, uh, Mahershala was definitely the favorite for the Oscar. <clears throat> Dev Patel was a possibility. Um, he did win the BAFTA. Uh, Dev Patel. I thought. Right. I I don't love the movie line. I thought it was fine, but I think it was okay. Yeah, I, I you know, it's, it's it's, it's, it's yeah, sweet. But, yeah. 
it's you raise your evoke. voice a few pitches and you say, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a nice movie. Else that we shouldn't evoke, but is that like, oh, why am I going to say this? Is that one of the last Weinstein pictures? Lion? Um, Lion was definitely a Weinstein picture for sure. I, oh, I actually. One of the uh, last. So here's an inside baseball thing. I actually saw Lion at a Weinstein company screening room because oh, at mother. the time a friend of mine was working at the company and he invited me and I got to go like a couple weeks before it was released. And was yeah, your friend I, I forgot about that. I forgot about that until just now. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> that was, was he there? No, uh, no, definitely not. Well, he was based in New York and I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. So, so wait, but, your friend wasn't Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> no, my friend was not. He, <laughs> but he did like work in the LA office and my, my friend worked in the LA office and like he, would come around every once in a while and was just a apparently a fucking asshole to everybody. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, wait. yeah. Yeah. My, my friend tough. has does not mince words about <laughs> about the man or the company either. So, mm-hmm. um, That's not so, the, <laughs> so there are a few like last wine scene movies that you could count like the current war and shit like that. But Too all of those fever. had really trouble productions. Yeah, exactly. But the one that I would really count as the last Weinstein picture do you want me to give you hints and you can guess yes, it? I'm gonna guess it. 2017. Um, stars has two stars of the MCU. Two established actors who are in the MCU are the leads. It's kind of problematic. Did, did it I... have Oscar buzz or nominations? Yes, it did. did. And the director is actually a really up and coming, up and coming writer, or like he's a real respect, respected writer who actually wrote one of the movies nominated this year in 2016. Uh, it's 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 like a definitely like a environment movie, meaning there's like there's some weather and going on. There's a it's cold. Just it's very cold. Is it not Tulip Fever? No, I'm not really counting that one because it has oh, a trouble okay. production. I'm count like the one that was. I think really Tom like, Holland was in Tulip Fever. Tom Holland. Um, but it's Wind River. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that was, yeah I don't uh, like that movie. <laughs> I never saw it. I think it's good. I mean, it's fine, but I, I, I guarantee you, it does not hold up on rewatch. Renner and who else is in that besides Renner? Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, oh, okay. Scarlet Witch herself. <laughs> I'm thinking about like you know important MCU figures. Not <laughs> hey, she's getting her own show soon. She yes. loves that robot. She's getting, she's getting a show on Disney Plus and not a yeah. four thousand screen wide release in the middle of June. That's she's actually going to be in all, all that uh, needs I'm to be said. Sorry, I just I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do this. She's also going to be co-starring in Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness, directed by Sam Raimi. Right after WandaVision. There's I, I a lot of predictions going on with that. Good luck to her. Uh, I don't know why I'm like coming after Elizabeth Olsen right now. I've, I know, right? No, like, you know, no at all. So. Sorry. You, Ingrid Goes West like, was awesome. Yeah. She Apparently, was you're getting a whiteboard out and describing that, you know, Elizabeth Olsen's the worst person to ever live. That's that's, that's some harsh stuff. I'm, uh, probably right now with the conspiracy theories. Protesting um, outside of Disney? Weird. I know. What's going on? But, you know, she loves that robot. She loves the robot. The robot loves her. That's all we got to say. 
Um, oh, should I go back to the actual awards? I think that's a smart yeah. idea. Please. Um, I feel for some reason I love how I love how Jack you chose like oh I think Lucas was the second and you um and you chose uh Dev I for some reason thought I don't know was uh Bridges the second like I don't think there was a clear <laughs> second person my actually. my memory my memory of this Oscar year was it was never going to be anybody but Mahershala yeah or, I think I think that's the consensus. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Hedges is, is immensely talented, as is Jeff Bridges, but I don't think they were ever. Lucas in, in, will win an Oscar someday. He will oh, for sure. I can't wait. I love. I I have a crush, or I have so much admiration for Lucas because he's just a nice boy. He's one who. When I grow up, I want to be Lucas Hedges. He's just a nice boy who's good at things. And he's got a. I I can only assume a fantastic agent because he doesn't have many misses. Yeah, yeah. true. And he, he's also he a just, beauty. I just saw Honey Boy. He was excellent in that. He's he's great in Honey Boy. He's um, Waves is he's just just a secret weapon in the back half of Waves, just like waiting to, to be waves. deployed. Oh man, dude. Oof. You haven't Oof. seen Waves, right, Clay? You haven't. No, I've I've it's been it's had a weird discourse. <laughs> it it has right. It's kind of like come and go, and then people loved it. People didn't like it. But uh, compa- uh, comparisons to the movie we're talking about right now, because it's just a Florida set. A24 movie set in Miami and uh, neon <laughs> aesthetic. It's considered the A24 Florida trilogy, right? This Florida yes. project and uh, Waves. Well, now the quadrilogy throwing in Spring Breakers. Yeah, which is also a neon-soaked uh, Florida A24 movie. That was like the yeah. ground floor of A24. That was the uh, the one that broke the mold. Yeah. Where are, we, where, where are you guys forever. at on Spring Breakers? Oh, I love it. It's good. It's, it's good. Incredible. It's, it I is like incredible. it. Harmony okay. Korean is just uh, ahead of all of us. I mean, he knew he knows something we don't. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, look at my shit. I, I think that's just <laughs> that's something we can take with us after watching the movie. Look at my on shit. Repeat. Look at it. <laughs> Scarface on repeat. I got moonlight oh. on repeat. <laughs> it's it sucks that he's now canceled because that's not a even performance. It's not even dementia can take away some of the scenes that I saw in Gummo. Oh, man. Ugh. I didn't see Gummo, but I did see Trash Humpers. Okay. Oh. So. Hot I'm take. A, I'm a big admirer of Beach Bum, I must say. That's I know. Like, I was going to say hot take. I think I like Beach Bum maybe a little more than Spring Breakers. That's not a hot take. I will accept that gladly. I, I kind of really fucking love Beach Bum. It's amazing. I think it's a different kind of movie. I didn't see all of it, to be honest, but... Just the forty minutes I saw, it's a lot. It's going for different. It's swinging for a different fence than the spring it's break. It's just, it's like a nice, cool bath of weed. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like or what a nice bath of weed as opposed to an indictment of consumer culture and. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I, think I mean, it might be if, indicting something in there. I don't remember really. If Beachbone didn't have as much heart as it has, it would not last for me. It just, oh, it I feel stuck. like. I feel like uh, Harmony just loves the uh, the character of Moondog and the love for that he has for even Alien, James Franco and Spring Breakers. It just it kind of pours through and it makes it makes the world a difference because it would, it would be a much meaner, more cynical film. Yeah. Should we just do Beach Bum now? No. <laughs> um, I would not. Was that also A24? That was Neon. Oh. He was killing it. Neon, the, yeah, the new A24. Apparently, coming for A24's crown, Neon is. I mean, it's weird but, how fast that was. Yeah, I mean they've been they've been 
chip chisel away for a while now. Do you guys see the Neon Demon, which is also released by Neon? I'm pretty sure. I did, which it's, I don't. Uh, I haven't seen it. I don't mm. like. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, we'll get there, unfortunately. Is it good? I've heard things. I That's think a complicated it's more, question there, Clay. <laughs> it's more interesting in the context of Nicholas Reffin's career. Yes. Yeah. Like His, coming out with uh, yeah. Drive, Only God, and then Demon is like a wild run. Um, and then to top it off with Demon, it's like everything that he's interested in, but just told in like the worst way and like the most unsexy way, but in like a sexiness that he finds. And it's like, I just, I can't do what you're doing, dude. L, it was, uh, wait, who, who is, sorry, L Fanning? No. L Fanning, yeah, yeah, you got that's it. Right. Oh, wow. That's a good pull by me. Look at you. Um, but also, Neon Demon, I believe, came out in 2016. It did. It also had Moonlight coming out in 2016. It did. It did? It did. Moonlight? 2016, that's weird. Yeah. Yep. In the fall. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, yeah. Uh, Mahershala, that was a lock. Should I talk just about the wins? Or, I mean, I don't think we can go through it all of them. It won supporting wins. actor, adapted screenplay, and picture, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. A little Which bit of. I think, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. I was gonna say strange uh, categorization to put this in adapted screenplay as opposed to original, just because it's based on an unproduced play by Terrell Alvin McCraney. So. Yeah. And it's also I, pretty different from his play, and there's you know, uh, I mean I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but his play is uh, the story of Little Chiron and Black concurrently. Mm-hmm. And it's like just a day in the life of all three, and it's not until like the midpoint that you re- that you learn that they're all the same person. Yeah. And Barry Jenkins kind of took those three stories and you know laid them out one after the other. I don't know. I, I guess the fact that it's an unproduced play, it, I, I'm I'm not sure what the the Academy's kind of weird about. You but know, maybe stuff. I'm curious if the script was published because I wonder why. You know what I mean? Like maybe like he copyright copyrighted the script before if he didn't ever produce it, because well he also I wrote it know. like he also wrote it like ten years before Barry Jenkins got his hands on it. It was a yeah. old pro. I don't know if it was still. I don't know if he was still at Yale when he wrote it. Um, I read online that he wrote it to like come to terms with his mother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Barry Jenkins said that every everything that about Naomi Harris's character, uh, Sharon's mother, everything about her is either directly from Terrell Evan McCraney's mother or Barry Jenkins' mother. mother. Yeah. yeah, they both um, had you know mothers who had drug addictions, and so uh, there's a lot of truth to her character. I just don't know if they did go an original screenplay if they could beat Kenneth Lonergan because I re- I do remember I actually saw Manchester. We'll get there when we cover mm-hmm. it, but I saw Manchester this year. Which was for the first I time? don't think I would yeah, and I would never take a sixteen year old to Manchester. Yeah. Um It's weird how I loved that but, movie the first time I saw it. And I too. like it and I was yeah, I was young. Six, I don't know what six, sixteen was a fucking amazing year just with this <laughs> right. and arrival in Manchester and I'll even say La La Land and yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, um I think that I think that Kenneth Lonergan versus this for screenplay would have been an interesting interesting race, but it also would have meant that Arrival would have had a clear path to adapted screenplay if this was an original, and I would have loved to see Eric Heiserer win oh, for that screenplay. And um, as much as I do enjoy Manchester, it's not his best movie of the decade. It's March. It's Margaret. That's the only Kenneth Lonergan movie I've seen. 
but I, I've been mean to seek out Margaret. I hear it's a, it's a three it's, hours of just depressing. It's quite a roller coaster. All right. I, I've been mean to seek that out. I'll do that. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it right either. Right after we so. finish recording this, I will watch it. Oh, Margaret. wow. Jeez. Wow. That's and dedication. Then and then we'll record a Margaret episode. Yeah, right. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but, yeah, so I think both of those screenplays are very deserving. And I'm, Do you guys read screenplays at all? I did for a little bit, but then... Um, I don't like reading. <laughs> that's the other thing. That it's the one-inch sub, sub barrier. Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, I read the No Country for Old Men screenplay. Sure. And Nerd. the... Uh, the screenplay for the master. Um, I'm looking at it right now. I read the screenplay for Arrival. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't. I haven't recently. Which, which uh, I, I like. Uh, depending on the movie, it can be really illuminating. Um, Barry Jenkins, I think, is like legitimately a really good writer. Not only does he like write good characters and good themes and everything, like he's just like really good on the page. So like I would, I would recommend his. A uh, little bit of a tangent. Read Greta Gerwig's screenplays. They're just absolute joys to read she again it's just it, those should be published as you know companion pieces and they kind of are but like she, her screenplay is just an absolute joy to read please do that a joyous screenplay for a joyous person uh greta Gerwig's a very very important person to me yeah absolutely important filming um, so where do we go from here do we talk about well, i was thinking talk about the supporting actor win we talked about the screenplay win do we talk about the other one <laughs> Um, Do you want to save that? We no, we probably should. Um, I just wanted to mention um, one thing. I'll, the co-writer for the screenplay was also um, t- uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney. I think I'm Terrell Alvin right. McCraney, yeah. a genius. Um, yeah, he's great too. High Flying Birds, one of the best screenplays of last year, and I, like, no, he's it, he's a he's a genius. He won a Genius Grant after this movie. Oh, there <laughs> you go. Genius Grant, yeah. Literally anointed. And High Flying Bird is is very good. I agree. Yeah, so I, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's a great movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. I'm. I'm also an NBA fan. So like. It, like. It's just good. It's a good movie. There was um, no way you could not like it. It's kind of true. It's unfortunately like hard. Like. You, like. Like. Fucking like. Pistons point guard Reggie Jackson appears. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> just like, Andre just... Holland with that swagger, which we will talk about. Oh. Oh yeah, we, uh, that's another thing. I, I didn't even make that connection. I'm dumb. Yeah, that, yeah, it's a good movie. Um, yeah, first it best picture. It won best picture. Uh, in could we say the most infamous best picture present presentation ever? Without question, uh, easily, and not maybe the one of the biggest Oscar surprises in history, and that will ever happen. In we're, we're, all, we're, in every single way. And we're never going to see anything like it ever again. Yeah. Like it's, Do you guys remember it's a, where, it's a where singular you were? Oscar rent. I, I was sitting about 10 feet from where I'm sitting right now. And uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, we're never going to see anything, anything like it again. It's yeah. one of the weirdest things ever to happen on public television. Are we just going to assume, assume the listeners know what we're talking about exactly? Or do you want to recap it? If you know, just look, just just fucking look it's it up on YouTube. All over YouTube. I mean, just if and it's again forever associated with this movie. So if you just Google the movie, I'm sure a thousand videos will come up about it. And even if you don't know what we are talking about, I think it's even worth um, viewing it for the first time because you're just. It, it's almost like um, you'll think Beatty and um, Faye Donnelly. Uh, uh, Faye Donnelly, thank you, are doing like another bit, 
Like it's like, okay, well, we'll just hold this off until the very last second. And and I think La La Land was the it was the front runner. It was easily the front runner. It uh, had easy, fourteen nominations. Fourteen nominations. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And um, and so it's like, all right, well, one pack it in, guys. Yep. That's, <laughs> and, and that's exactly. As how I my felt. sister and I were cleaning up our uh, our space, like, yeah, it's just like, hang on, <laughs> it's not a bit. Um, it's not win. Ooh, um, with Jordan like, Jordan Horowitz with well, that envelope. Even, yeah. even before Jordan Horowitz like took control of the situation. And first of all, great for him. Yeah, like no, he's, he's a real champ. Yeah. He's a real champ and like he was gracious and like quick thinking. But before he took over, a guy was in the middle of giving a speech and he's like thanking people and then he says, We lost, by the way. And then there's like and he steps away from the mic, then there's like a some dead space, and then Jordan Horowitz takes over. And like I'm, that yeah. guy who I guess like heard murmurs behind him mid acceptance speech, like just completely changed the gears and goes, we lost by the way. Yeah. I, no I remember that guy, but that's iconic. I remember even when like they got on stage, I remember it was just clear that something was happening. There was just like, mm. it was just like this weird thing. Like people were talking, there was like commotion basically. And every, and I remember even me like, I, there weren't announcers, but for some reason I can remember, or, or I, I feel like um, for some reason my brain is thinking that someone was saying in the background, oh, there seems to be some commotioning ha- commotion happening on the stage. Right <laughs> like, now. A, like a color commentary guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, in my head, it was someone, you know, like freaking Kevin Harlan. Over Do you always with... have a color commentary guy narrating your um, life? I, I, I used to be an NBA fan, so it, <laughs> it, it, it's a thing. Um, but... Yeah, I just remember it. Just like it was so obvious that something was happening, and we're and I th- I was watching with my mom, I think, and we're both like, "Huh, what's going on?" And it j- and then um, her I will always remember because it was such a it was such a weird way to do it too. Um, Hurwitz was like, um, actually, you know, this award really goes to Moonlight, and everyone was like, yeah. "Okay, well, we get he, it." You're yeah, they were the show. other one. He, yeah. He directed it to like the Moonlight team. He said, "There's been a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture." He yes, referred yes. to the group of people the as iconic Moonlight. line. Yes. yes. Now yeah. I'm assuming you've zapruder this as much as I have. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, of course, then we go to the reaction. audience. Oh. Yes. I the just remember that the audience the shots are also iconic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the it's rock that, and also like the barrel of him like everyone just couldn't like he was like oh i get it he's you know we share this award together it was like fucking like um who who was john not john amos uh who starts in um who's the guy in the golden globes who who get dedicated the award to all of the nominees and like what was do you guys know does anyone know what i'm talking about it's um he's in mission impossible he's tom cruise's um fuck I, I I hate my life right now. What, oh, no. what is this? Am I am, am I making this up? I need more. Vin <laughs> Rames. Vin Rames won a Golden I, Globe. It, wait, hang on. <laughs> Didn't he? Not I recently. Mean, I would love it, but <laughs> I think he won a Golden Globe for something random. Are you thinking of Mahershala Ali? No, Vin Rames won a Golden Globe. <laughs> he won a gold for being Don King, and I remember. Yes, that's right. Okay, Vin Rames asked Jack Lemmon, who was also nominated to uh, nominated I'm, I'm on sorry. the stage. 
and trib and trib uh, tri- uh, tributed the award to him. So this was when Jack Lemmon was still alive. So this is yeah quite the poll. I thought you were talking like in the last year or two. Yeah. No, 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 no. Ninety eight. I'm, ta- oh. I'm I just remember the idea of I share this award with my oh. fellow nominees and like okay. how Vin Rames actually got Jack Lemmon on stage to be like, you're accepting it with me, goddammit. Not unlike how Martin Scorsese got a standing ovation at the Oscars yeah. last week yeah. when he lost to Best Director. <laughs> exactly. And it was that and then kind Spike of Lee yelling at him to take the standing out. Which honestly uh, is the best moment of that night, by the way. It is. It is. Man. And so, but that's what I kind of thought at first. That Thank you. They, and I that, will drink until next morning. Yes. But that's what I thought they were doing at first. I'm like, oh, they're doing this kind of hacky thing of just like, oh, it, I, we all really deserve it. And then they're like, no, no. I would he, encourage he you. Was like, no, we're serious. I would encourage Here's you to return to the tape because mm-hmm. I think it was clear right away that like he, when Jordan Horowitz <laughs> took the mic, he literally said, no, this is wrong. Like mm-hmm. he immediately was like, we need to, you know, something yeah, to fix this. I guess I, 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 I first took that as metaphorical. It's, it's like, confusing. No, this, we don't okay. really deserve I, I, this. I see what you're saying. saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. I see what you're saying. Now, that what been, I've seen. That would have been a, that would have been a hard turn into like. Exactly. <laughs> just all of us. People were just like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And. Okay. We get and, it. But. And he had to like reiterate it. Like, no, seriously. Yeah. We lost. Again. Grabs the card, holds it. He smoothly yeah. one best picture. Disrespect yeah. to Warren Beatty, snatches out of his hand and holds it up. <laughs> um, something that I've seen more recently, as we've grown more distance from this, uh, from this occasion, that they didn't allow the Moonlight team to have their like they didn't like. Okay, guys, we're just gonna pretend like Warren Beatty announces them again. We're gonna clap for them, and. Um, I don't know. If, would you guys agree with that? That they didn't have their moment officially. I think that their moment was tainted to some extent, just because half of the speech, half of the time, a lot of their speech went to a different movie, and then some time went to Warren Beatty explaining what happened and Jimmy Kimmel trying to make jokes about it to make the best situation mm-hmm. as the host. And um, I mean, but you know, Barry Jenkins still had some time at the mic, but also like. I can't imagine what would have been going through his head at the moment and having to, comp- I mean, his speech was great. The only thing I remember from it was that like, you know, he said like, screw dreams, this is real. Yes. Or like, yes. never my wildest dreams would this have happened, but he said, screw dreams, this is real. Which is, first of all, I, I imagine very true to what he was feeling at the moment, like, but also very endearing and, and very sweet. And, and I um, remember people took it as like a jab at La La Land because La La Land is such a, like, oh, <laughs> But that, of course, that was never what he meant. That never occurred to me. So interesting that people have that take. Uh, I remember Trevante Rhodes had his hand on his heart. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, such yeah. like <laughs> genuine shock. Like yes. he just witnessed. What a gorgeous man! What? Oh my! He was, I believe, an underwear model before this movie. And he's yeah, an he's a, he was yeah. an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, he like he like won gold medals for his for track. Yeah, it's insane. Can we pivot to Trevante Rhodes for a second? Please. Um, wait, 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 one one more thing. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I, I think, I have mixed feelings on the idea of what does that, like, the Oscar um, controversy mean to Moonlight? Is that good or bad for its legacy? Or does that hurt? Like, I mean, it doesn't hurt it, but is it, does it dampen it or does it highlight it? And I mixed, um, it's, confl- it's conflicting to me because, like, that is the moment and for um for a kind of crazy once in a lifetime moment to happen 
I, it's kind of cool that it happened for Moonlight in a sense of how special that movie is and something kind of special happened. It depends how you view it, too. Yeah. Is it a disaster or is it kind of the special weird coincidence of life? Um, this isn't the artist winning. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Yeah. Exactly. And so I feel like that helps. But also you would rather them just have the moment to give their whole speech. But again, con- but the crowd reactions were so kind of crazy and their reactions were crazy as well and that kind of it heightened everything um do you guys have you heard the conspiracy theory that this was that this was planned wow no i've not but i can tell you that it was not planned (laughs) yeah no i don't think so either but i heard that and i'm like no and i think we will draw parallels again to uh parasite best picture winning film parasite um or it's like if you guys remember when each time it won, it was like the the house or the Dolby Theater was just in uproar. It was it was like okay, there is clear love here. Um, and I think I, when once it just won original screenplay for me, it was like okay, I think it's gonna go all the way. I didn't know it'd be go all the way until it won Best Director. But similar, I was watching it at a bar in West Hollywood. And the Oscars at a bar in West Hollywood, and every time Parasite won anything, like that was the only time the people I was with reacted at all, and like it just got uproarious applause every time. Yeah. So yeah. love for it in in the that's West rad. Hollywood bar as well. My best friend knows who Bong Joon Ho is. Like that's pretty. Well, I know cool. who Bong Joon Ho is. Oh, I no, see. No. Okay, I get it. <laughs> like like yeah. people who who wouldn't even yeah. dare touch south korean cinema now are like let's save it for a parasite episode true true yes sure. thank you. and like so you know I, i'm sure we all have mixed feelings about the oscars but that's ultimately why i love the oscars is because at the end of the day it does shine light yeah. on movies to non-movie people so like you know now everyone's heard of Parasite, and now everyone's heard of Bong Joon-ho, and now everyone's heard of Moonlight. And to your point, Clay, about whether it helps or hurts the movie's legacy or whatnot, uh, I think it kind of sucks that, like, you know, Moonlight's win will always be, like, tied to this as, like, not like a, maybe like a joke or a meme, but, like, more people heard of the movie because of the Best Picture flub, I think. Like, I think, you know, a movie wins Best Picture, a lot of people are going to hear that movie's title and will seek it out, but because it won it in such a dramatic, surprising way even more people talked about it and it got, it had a, a longer news cycle. And I think the movie's reach hopefully extended because of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I think that's it. Um, do you guys remember, was that like the first real memed Oscar moment of Justin Hurwitz holding up the envelope? It's gotta be. I, it ha- That was like the, besides maybe the only thing that could be come before that, that was like the most memed Oscar moment was the selfie with Ellen. I was just going to say Ellen DeGeneres' selfie for sure. Yeah. That, yeah, those are the two that were like, that's, like that's a, when the internet that's ran like, wild. But that is literally the host attempting to become an internet sensation. Like this when is she, true. when she took that picture, she said she wanted to like have it be the most retweeted photo of all time. So like she was. said that in the moment and it was, yeah. So like that's, no one was trying to be internet yeah, exactly. famous when, when they flubbed the Best Picture announcement. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then I think 2013 also had that. And then J-Law um, tripping to the receiver Oscar. She did, yeah. So How maybe was... it was something It was something about that ceremony. 
she also ordered pizza to the Dolby Theater. And <laughs> there's a great picture of Brad Pitt, like, eating a slice of pizza <laughs> during a commercial oh, break. Boy. Nice. And he has, like, he has his, uh, his Fury haircut. Oh, <laughs> Fury. Wow. So it's, it's oh my a, god, the time capsule of a picture. Yeah. <laughs> he, can, he can eat my slice of pizza. I'll tell you what. 2013 was his only Oscar at that point too for producing. He did, yeah, yeah. He years. won best picture that year. Huh. What a man, by the way. What a yeah. what a uh. what a producer record on that guy. It, I mean, relates to Moonlight producing. Yes, movie. Plan B, Plan B. Uh, his his company did. Um, I think uh, Barry Jenkins like just on a whim, like met someone from plan B, like at Sundance or something like yeah. that. And like, just like kind of grabbed their ear for a second and like kind of talk to them about this movie. And that's how, that's how he got it off the ground. I think the plan, plan. B producer also knew him as a projectionist at Telluride. Mm. And he okay. knew plan B, more like plan a plus. That's, ex- that's, that's a nice. great one. Okay. That's, well, thank you guys for listening. Take that <laughs> this that has been great. Um, I just had to shout at the moment I heard, thought about it. Just needed to be out in the world. Um, it didn't well i mean because like they, they were i feel like they they uh, they had to have been taking something of a risk because like this guy hadn't made a, a feature film in eight years yeah medicine is like 2008 something like that and it was also medicine for melancholy was also made for fifteen thousand dollars like that that is an astounding fifteen thousand dollars i have really, really it really i'm gonna good see it too. this month and yeah. i it, wow I haven't seen it, but like, yeah, it's it's again, like he hadn't made a movie in eight years. The one that he had made was just a shoestring of a budget, just an unfathomably low budget. So, I, I guess they had confidence in him, but I'm I'm so glad they did because you know the product it, speaks for itself. I have and seen not, it, and I think what you were saying earlier about how he's such a great writer on top of everything else, yeah, it shows in medicine, and um, he makes the most of its budget. I'll say the budget shows, but not as an insult. Mm. That means anything. Sure. Um, I wanted to, you're talking about like, they must have really had confidence in that the product proves itself. Also, the money proves itself. I just, I never knew it made this. So it's a $4 million budget world. Um, and it, it's. Uh, for, Isn't it wait. like the cheapest best picture winner? When it won I, Best yeah, Picture, it, it was be. it was the low well, it was the lowest grossing Best Picture winner other than the Hurt Locker at the time of its win. But based on what Clay's leading up to here, I'm assuming it made some more money after it won. Well, if like if you, I mean, of course you have to look at the four million dollar budget. But you guys yeah. want to guess what its worldwide gross is? Did it hit a hundred? No, no. I mean, nothing that okay. crazy. Sixty five okay. million. That's 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 a, a that's return on investment. That's for sure. And its domestic was twenty seven, which I find to be more wow. Wild. I'm, I'm impressed. So it, made, it made much more, more international. That's that's great. Yeah, that's good for good for Moonlight. Good for Barry. Yeah. I mean, but sixty-five million dollars on a four million dollar budget. That's, I mean, that's not like Get Out numbers, but that's really good. It's a good uh-huh. ROI, as the economists say. <laughs> I don't know. What I'm talking about um, Barry Jenkins. What do you think about <laughs> Barry Jenkins? I, I think Barry Jenkins is like one Pretty of cool. the next great uh, figures. No, I, I think I, he'll become a person in this community, not just making movies, but just um, shining lights on others that need the shining. Kind of yes. like Marty and Brad. And uh, what? Why am I calling them by the first names? <laughs> I mean, Marty's Marty. So. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think he he's he can do whatever he wants just by this just by this win and if Beale Street showed us anything is that he can um, adapt a 
an unadaptable person of James Baldwin, and um, he can he can do anything. He wrote these at the same time, by the way. Yeah, the I, screenplays. I don't buy it. I buy it. Well, he went to Belgium for a month and wrote both the screenplays for Moonlight and Beale Street, which is just <laughs> unfair. That's he wrote like, Moonlight. It's really unfair. He wrote Fred Moonlight did the in 10 same days. Thing. He wrote Moonlight yeah. in 10 days, allegedly. Um, <sighs> at least the first draft. Uh, Barry Jenkins, I, I agree with you, Jack, that he's um, – I hope he can do whatever he wants from now on. And I agree that he's also a great advocate for other filmmakers. Also, the dude is – super smart like just I, I mentioned before we started recording it's his commentary track from moonlight and he's very insightful and uh very smart and uh, i've actually gotten to during the beale street uh award circuit i actually got he did a q a that i got to attend and he's he's the smartest guy in most rooms he's in i feel like he's and i i, just, I, I would hear him talk about anything for as long as he wants to talk for i yeah. I'm just i'm very uh, taken by the guy and I know this is this is kind of like meaningless, but I also want to thank him because when he was doing his circuit for Moonlight, he shouted out a bunch of people that I now consider some of my favorites, like Lynn Ramsey, Claire Denis, Wong Kar Wai, and I think Barry's just because I will follow him to the end of the earth for making this movie. He's brought me on to other people that I I now consider just geniuses. So yeah. And I mean, I haven't seen Medicine for Melancholy, but based on Moonlight and Beale Street, like, what do we think of like, what what is a Barry Jenkins movie? Like, a good I, movie. I, well, yeah, I mean, technically amazing. James Laxon's an amazing cinematographer, by the way. And like, I love that like Barry Jenkins' team, his cinematographers, editors, they're all like just people he went to film school with. Like, big shout out to Nicholas Patel. By the way. Nicholas Patel, for sure. Uh, so I like that, like, he keeps the same company that he's kept since his 20s. Like, I, I kind of, I think I find that very endearing. But also, so again, like, I think Barry Jenkins' movies, based on the sample size of two that I've seen, beautifully shot, uh, just ethereal scores. But also, like, his writing, it's raw, but it also, like, you know, they, they kind of leave their emotions on their sleeves, you know? Like, they're, like, unapologetically emotional. And I, I, I really love that about both those movies, particularly this one. Yeah, I find it very um, empathetic. Yeah, empathetic yes. to the point of like um, painful. Pain, painful. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, um, it's very rare to we become by someone like this. Yes. Um, At least in our me and, time. me and Jack mention Blank Check a lot. Uh, blank Check with Griffin and David podcast, and right now they're covering Jonathan Demi, um, a very empathetic uh, character driven director who loves working with actors um and jesus um and barry jenkins says that two of his biggest in or at at one of his biggest influences is jonathan demi i see that in close-ups yeah yeah exactly that's the thing i was Mm -hmm. literally what i was just about to say like how he mastered Uh like how he loves and masters close-ups sorry for stealing that from you my bad (laughs) no no, you're fine no i meant i meant that as (laughs) I meant that as a compliment. I'm not, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Jonathan Demi's work, but just, you know, you watch Sons of the Lambs and you watch this and like, it's, and Beale Street for that matter. And like, yeah, you see it. And like, not many people do close-ups like that. You know, the mm-hmm. directed camera, you know, close Just like up, a but PTA. PTA does it too, occasionally. Yeah. Um, and I, I, again, I mentioned the commentary track earlier and I highly recommend it for either of Barry Jenkins's movies, but it's interesting hearing him talk about the decision to, to do close-ups like that and how, um, 
the two times I remember it in this movie is during Chiron's talk with his mom when he comes home from uh, come home from Teresa's place, I guess. And, like, his mom asked him for money for the first time, which, again, actually happened in real life to Barry Jenkins, I think, or Terrell Alvin McCraney, one of the two. Uh, so he goes direct um, direct camera close-ups there. And then, again, when uh, he gets beat up by Kevin at school yeah. a few scenes later, which are two of the, again, more raw moments of the movie. Um, I think Barry Jenkins said, particularly in the fight scene, that uh, movies are inherently voyeuristic. And he didn't want that scene to be voyeuristic. He wanted you to be like in it with them. You're not watching from a distance. You're in the middle. You're in between them as Chiron's getting punched. I think the fact that he puts the cameras in the middle of the two actors makes the difference from him and Demi. Um, For some reason, I I think Demi, of course, is a very empathetic guy, but he's a humanist. Um, But like there's something very special and idiosyncratic about Barry Jenkins's close-ups. He experimented in that scene when um, Kevin comes, or Sean uh, Rohn comes back from Teresa's house and him and Paula have that conversation and he, and you're looking directly into Naomi Harris's eyes and it just kind of removes this, this barrier between audience mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. and film. Puts I think I do want to, before we go on with the actual meat of it, I do want to give a quick shout out to Naomi Harris. Yeah, um, for sure. Three days on this project, I only knew her as Money Penny. In between shooting from Spectre, I think, and it's like she just worthy supporting actress nomination. I, I should say she got, right? she got yeah. nominated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I cannot believe this work here. It's um. It's quite truly, the heat check <laughs> to use the parlance of another podcast. Yeah, like. truly that guy. Um, if you want to <laughs> hear a crazy trivia or I guess. But I guess alternate. one other thing about Naomi Harris, like I, I was I just every time I see that, that this little moment of her, like walking up these these stairs in the way that she's kind of transformed her body into someone so like lost. She's so lost of life because of this drug habit. And it's mm. it's just kind of like. You only peek behind the curtain a little bit. I think that's that's key. Where it's like, it's like yeah. a White Walker. I don't know. Like yeah. she, it looks like this, like kind of like creepy, like oh, like menacing thing when she yeah. like walk like walks up those stairs. Just like, you know, you're just so terrified in a sense. It's imperative cool. that we never leave uh, Sharon's POV. Yeah, uh, I think that I think Barry Jenkins. I can remember <laughs> during the commentary track or during an interview or something, but he did mention that like you know, uh, his mom also similarly had addiction problems but it was always kind of something he knew about as as her son but never like knew much about it was just something he was aware of and that's that's one reason there's like that pink room in moonlight that she kind of like disappears into and he she Mm. leaves little out in the hallway like he's kind of yeah exactly he's trying to show that visually that it's something that chiron is aware of but it's a world he'll never really know you know um, and speaking of Naomi Harris, it's it's interesting to see like the progression of her character. Like when you first see her, she's in like a in Scrubs, I think, or like some kind of nursing. Yeah, she's like, like nursing. Out and she looks she looks very put together. She's concerned about where her son was, and she seems uh, protective of him around Juan. And then next time we see her, she is smoking crack. <laughs> and then later we see her hit up her son for money so she can buy more crack. And then we see her in recovery house and. Um, 
it's a it's a spectrum and it's i agree well-earned nomination sorry what were you gonna say clay about the trivia i'm, I'm into this trivia. oh yeah it's it's something i think about unfortunately like a lot and almost at, well not unfortunately but like anytime naomi harris is brought up um barry jenkins wanted to do a money penny movie wow this is a hundred percent true naomi harris has said this on record that Barry Jenkins approached the Broccoli's, the company in the family that produces all the James Bond movies, and he pitched them on a on a Money Penny movie, and they, for I, I mean I don't know for right or wrong reasons said no, and he was, was like, probably, oh, I it was probably pre Best Picture, I'm assuming. No. Huh. And no, they turned him down. Yeah, I'm trying to justify why they would say no. <laughs> the broccolis are weird, and also the budget, and they were like money penny. Like they would, it's just it's just something that like if he if he let's say he asked to direct James Bond, sure, but like no, there's no way. The broccolis are weird, stingy, and very protective. They don't they, um, they deliberately try to get to shy away from auteurs or people who they can't like who who want to take control of everything like they'll never they'll never get a nolan you know everyone said nolan no one and or edgar wright they've never wanted to do that because they just don't want they want their vision executed sam mendes is the closest thing to an auteur they've ever gotten to and specter was very um uh, very uh compromised so yeah, Carrie Fugnala, uh, too. That a lot. um yeah Carrie Fugnala, and so he, again he's not that he's not a huge name and also he's but he also has had weird relationships with studios, whether it be with yes. it or active or something like that. But um, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I just I think about making like a money penny movie. Can you imagine a money penny movie with Naomi Harris? A Barry Jenkins money penny movie. I know. Which that's, is, the, that's the highlight that, that I'm seeing. This is very true. And I just I think about that like maybe every day because that's just a weird reality that I want to see. I like to go that to the timeline. Yeah, that was it. Uh, I mentioned Trevante Rhodes earlier. Uh, what do we think about um, Little's transformation, Sharon's transformation through the movie? I mean, it's the movie. It's physically. I mean, Are you talking physically? I'm talking just... specific. Well, I guess both, but I was thinking physically in particular. Just like Trevante Rhodes is such a the this the jump from Chiron to Black is is jarring. You know, just how much he changes. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it personally. I think that it's a, a, a visually showing him putting up armor. You know, yes, exactly. It makes perfect you know, sense. It's, it's emotional armor, and we see him working out. You know, early on in in the third segment, and um, yeah, and again, uh, Trevante Rhodes is not 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 bad to look at either. <laughs> oh, oh boy, um, him and. Uh... Yeah, Sharon is the only person. I mean, wait, no, hang on. (laughs) Sharon knows Juan to be the only person that is like a competent adult figure. He's the only role model, yeah. Teresa, yeah. So it would make perfect sense, logical sense, that he would um, apply himself to be as close to that as possible. Even if he's selling drugs now, he has the same kind of confidence and swagger, at least on the outside. That Juan has, well, even he, yeah, if he's I mean, trying he, to look like him physically. He he becomes Juan in every sense, not just you know f- he's physically you know domineering, and he literally takes up Juan's job as a crack dealer. And there's that scene in the third segment where he's he's counting money, and he 
tells his guy to count it right, and he makes him count it again. And he's just like, turns out he's just messing with him. Yeah. But like, uh, what he's was doing he there? there is, yeah, he was messing with him poorly. I, I I think so. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. Because um, you could you could see that as him just making like he's not messing with him, but also but changes his mind at the last second, saying like I, I don't want to do this to the guy. I'm not that mean. Uh, that's how uh, I've always take it as he's actually trying to be the tough guy and he's actually trying to like step up and be the uh, persona that the world sees him to be and then he decides when he sees how like how much the dude's freaked out he becomes so emp- like he's still Chiron underneath and, all of that he, exterior that he wants he does, to he doesn't want to be a monster and he does say he can't let people mess with you like that to the guy mm-hmm. afterwards um I think on the commentary track Barry Jenkins said that like him doing that is like him trying to a lot of this movie is about masculinity, but also like the performance of masculinity and that him doing that is a performance of, of, of toughness, a performance of like, you know, I'm telling you you're wrong and what are you going to do about it? You know, Oh, you call me a liar. Count yourself, you know, and he's being confrontational and he's, he's Jack to your point. He's trying to like do his impression of Juan. Basically that's what he thinks. That's what he thinks it's, it's, it's like to be, to, to do that job, I guess. Um, and I, I think it's also interesting that, like, at the end of that scene, like, Clay, to your point, he does, like, kind of take pity on the guy and say, you know, you can't let people mess with you. It's almost like he's trying to impart life lessons onto this kid, much like Juan imparted life lessons onto him, you know? And shout out to Ashton Sanders. Um, he's just such a twig. He's He has, like, almost no muscle. Which one's Ashton Sanders? Sec- oh, in the oh, second, second chapter. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah, it makes that transformation physically all the more... It's like it's weird to compliment that body structure with uh, Ashton Sanders, but it's like it help it helps out so much. Um, he's so vulnerable. He, he's so vulnerable, and yeah. um, you you just want to give him a hug. You really just I, I, the whole movie. I want to give Sharon yeah. a hug. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we have a do we have any takes on like which is the best segment or it's devastating? It's the last one. But that's but I think that's not because like, oh, the other ones they don't like I like less or whatever. It's because I think everything builds up to the last. It's it kinda hard. It's unfair, honestly, to say that like like it, unfair to in the sense of I think it's I think it's just I don't wanna say <clears throat> but I think it's just has to be the last one just because it takes every single thing beforehand and really magnifies it and also molds it into a full arc of a story i agree and i think that's why it's just so perfection i think you'd be hard pressed to find a more cathartic final 15 minutes of a movie oh. than than moonlight um just because like the movie's like almost you know this is going to be like a long tirade but i'll keep it short i think the movie is like a clenching fist and then the last like few minutes is just very slowly unclenching the fist from the time that he walks into that diner. You're just kind of you're still guarded and he's still guarded, but you, you're just kind of like very slowly like relaxing your shoulders and like kind of letting your guard down. And and then just the final moments is release. Was this Trevante's first role? As far Absolutely. as I know, but I'm not sure. Again, I'm pretty sure he was a model of some sort, and they found him and put him in this. Yeah. He yeah, because I mean, <laughs> I think he just communicates oh, actually, that that kind of tension so well. Um, or or it's at least his first feature does. film credit. I mean, he was in 
Open Windows, everyone's favorite movie in 2014. That was, and he had an uncredited role, oh, which he won an Oscar for, obviously. Yeah. Uh, he beat yeah. Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, besides that, I mean, he was in If Loving You Is Wrong, which is everyone's favorite show, um, and gang-related as Young Lord Number 1. Um, but no, this was his real first feature film. <clears throat> yeah. Which um, is crazy. Astonishing. Stashing work. He should I, be a he should be like he should have a franchise right now. And I maybe this is uh, like a cliche thing to say for every up and coming we'll, actor. We'll but, get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but he's just so like he was in the Predator. Um, for I haven't seen it, but I hear he was wasted. Um, he was in Bird Box and Twelve Strong. And his next movie is a Lee Daniels movie. Dan of Thieves. Uh, was he in Dan of Thieves? No, that was um fifty. <laughs> Funny I enough, I didn't see Dan of Thieves. That was 50 for the record. <laughs> Okay. Is that another rewatchables reference? No, I'm just saying it's a movie that exists. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm I feel so vindicated right now. Doesn't he look like 50 Cent? I can see that. Yeah. He could be because a young 50 Cent. I mean, muscular dudes with like strong jaws. Yeah, I see that. Exactly, and he has that like. I've always thought he looked like 50 Cent, and I've yeah. I've, I've always been scared to say it. He, <laughs> I think that he has um, you know good instincts um the scene of him and naomi harris at the end when like the reconciliation scene um she can't light her cigarette and he grabs it from her lights it for her and hands it back uh that wasn't in the scripts i can't remember if barry jenkins just like told him to do that or if he just like did it but either way that's a very very intimate moment between mother and son who've grown apart and like it's a uh, really really adds to that scene and that's that's like kind of he's very guarded up until that moment and then he takes pity on her in, in this moment and then that's when his he kind of his his walls begin to come down with her that's when he it, finally sense, starts to understand her yeah and like in that scene is what inspires him to like just get up and drive to miami like after that reconciliation he's like you know what i'm gonna go see kevin i think my he's favorite, so extraordinary uh, in this movie my favorite yeah. segment is uh, the second um, I don't know. I think that that beach scene is is like some of the best filmmaking I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like um, um, Jarell Jerome. Also, I think we should give a big shout out, especially since he's Emmy an Emmy this year. Yeah, in uh, when they see us. Yeah, congrats to Jarell Jerome. Do you guys want to guess which? So I I love that Ashton Sanders is now like, of course, Ashton Andrew Ashton. Um, Sanders and Jerome, uh, Jerome, Jerome are now like acting in a lot of stuff. Do you guys want to guess what Ashton Sanders is now? He's a. I'll, I'll give you hints. Uh, he's playing a prolific musician who. So a lot of it, guessings this episode. It, it's in a TV show on Hulu. He plays this very prolific musician. It's an up in a part of the he, uh, the leader of this very famous music group, and they're coming up in New York. Um, is he playing Otis Redding? <laughs> no. Um, That's a legit guess. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. It, he's playing RZA in the Wu Tang oh, show. Wow. A young RZA, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. I dig it. Right. I dig it. Anywhere uh-huh. Crash and Sanders, I'm in for. Can we talk about the beat scene real quick? That you just brought up, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I love that if you, you can, Jack, it's interesting you say it's one of the best, you know, some of the best filmmaking you've seen. I think you really can, like, 
study every every shot and every moment of that scene and like the way that um you know when they decide to change their camera angles like what the com- what's happening in the conversation when they change angles i think it, at first like you're in front of the characters and like kevin comes sits down and you know they're going back and forth they pass a blunt back and forth and whatever and then it changes and then the camera's behind them and like you're seeing like profile shots from behind and at that point like there's like a silence between the two of them and kevin says like yo that breeze feels hella good or so- something like that he mentions like how good the breeze feels so like there's a change in camera angle and there's also a change in the conversation where suddenly Kevin's talking about something sensuous, you know, for like, you know, so, something sensual, like how good the breeze feels. And then that changes the direction of the conversation and it eventually goes to where it goes. And mm-hmm. it, I, I can't imagine like that. That's such uh, I, I guess awkward is the word, right? Like, you know, how, how does one navigate, that situation if you are one of those two two young men and and the way they make it work so well and uh again i just recommend anybody just watch that three or four minute sequence and just pull apart every second of it every shot every every line read it's it really is incredible incredible stuff it's very natural yeah yeah and i think that's what you're i think that's really a good description of like how do you handle that how do you make that like i think it's I think the reason why it's also awkward but also beautiful is because that's what young love is, and that's why it feels so natural. I mean, all young love is awkward, and it's, it's I think it's captured so beautifully. It's very scary. You're completely and like, right. Particularly, like, what, you know, Chirona had been going through at school. Like, I can't imagine how scary it must have been to, you know, it takes vulnerability in that moment. And just to be that vulnerable when the stakes are that high, like, that's unfathomable to be honest and it's a yeah that that beach scene i mean i i, I ride for the ending of this movie and the diner scene but like that beach scene is uh it's transcendent stuff real quick it's have also you guys like spend a long periods of time in florida yes yeah no i i went yeah. i went there every christmas break so uh. um when i yeah and clay you might i family there too and what i find when when i'm there is like that breeze that he's talking about is so yes, I was, specific. I was just going to say the same thing. And it's so It's a little good. bit it's like, like being like, so how about the weather nowadays? <laughs> Where he's just kind of like it, grasping at straws on uh-huh. things that they can both, that they can just both converse with. And um, the fact that it's so, like Miami is, it's such a cliche to say this, but it's like Miami really is another character. <laughs> um and yeah. to see, yeah. uh, um, that's not cliche. And this is a Miami we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like that breeze, a f- nice Florida breeze at, on the beach is one of the greatest feelings you'll ever have as a person. Yeah, I gotta say, and uh, I, I identify that with so much because I'm like, well, I'd like, actually, yeah, hang on, before. I think we've seen it once before with Spring Breakers. That was a different Florida than this Florida. Yeah, yeah. that's a different Florida. Like that's- geographically. No, I just mean like that's like the place that, to to be frank, it's the place where like white privileged college kids come and like take over for a week and like kind of just sap the region of its resources for it to consume it. And then this is the place where I mean, I guess I I guess the latter half of Spring Breakers kind of goes to the places where those people wouldn't ever go. That's why the second half of that movie is so interesting. But, you know. 
you wouldn't find Ashley Benson in any part of this movie, you know, like, true. I mean, it, it's funny, but I mean, it's true. Like that's, it's really is, true. This is a different, a different world, you know? And it's, I, I think that, could you imagine you know, alien bumping into Juan? I cannot <laughs> imagine alien bumping into Juan actually, despite aliens opinion of himself and how he probably fancies himself a bit of a Juan. Uh, I, I don't see it. Like I'm just picturing the very opening shot of this movie is, is, is Juan riding up in his car and getting out and crossing the street and talking to and the camera circling around him camera circling around them. And it, and it, it opens like a very verite long take, uh, you know, gritty realism kind of thing. And like, I, I can't imagine any harmony Korean character walking into that shot, uh, particularly from string breakers. So we covered so the reason why I saw this movie so recently is because we covered it in my film class and it was one of the greatest experiences just to talk about that in the oh, film yeah. in the film class just like one time so we were so my teacher was uh, we were we watched the movie we uh, each student watches the movie at home and then we come to class and we pick apart each scene and we're in he picks and he uh, picks out the scene of um, the medium shot of Naomi like yelling in slow motion um at, fantastic uh, oh yeah at um uh little Chiron. Chiron, right yeah or no it was little you're right little and he um and she walks into the pink room and he was like why is that room pink i don't know but i love it you know like, <laughs> like that was like most of the thing is like you know he kept like asking the class like why do we think this and, it, and like he and he was like i don't know you know it's cool though. <laughs> like she's just that was like a lot of it, and we picked apart a lot of the first scene of the I, camera circling around um, Juan. I think you could probably study this movie and focus just on the color aspects, but there is like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of blue, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, Chiron in particular is, is very. I mean the the title is In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, and mm-hmm. um, you know there's uh, the shots of like Little from behind standing in front of the ocean is the last shot of the movie, mm-hmm. very very blue tinted. And uh, the title cards in between the segments has like a little bit of a blue flash. Uh, it's not just a black screen. There's a little bit of like a blue, like bulbing, pulsing. And but I think Naomi Harris's character is is more red. I mean, we see her in a red shirt, I think, when she when we find her smoking crack in the first segment and mm-hmm. the, the pink room. I think she's also wearing a red shirt in that scene as well. And I don't think we ever see Chiron wearing anything red or remotely red. Um Again, like I'm kind of just pulling this from my memory, but I bet you could watch that with like just that lens and and come to. I'm sure there's some intentionality there. Yeah, yeah. I just love I just, how much it's soaked in blue too. Yeah, like the uh, the obviously the title moon and uh, and the water of the ocean. It's, yeah, I think like this when you get to that chapter two, um, the school has a lot of blues in it. It's just I think of blue when I when I think of Florida. So it, it's kind of well-matched in that regard. Yeah. I'm just never going to forget. I mean, I don't know. I just love that. I just, so my, I've never seen, like, I haven't had a lot of places to, or I haven't had a lot of experiences seeing people face to, like me and Jack uh, talk and love movies and we've Skype a lot, but I haven't really had that pure joy of talking about movies face to face with someone and being that film class and just seeing the biggest fucking smile on my film teacher's face while we we're just talking about Moonlight and how we're all just kind of jacked up in it and how like we're just like looking at things like, yeah, that's pretty cool. 
It's like fucking awesome. And we're just like all and this like pat and, you know, it's a lectured type class, but also it's discussion based and we're all just talking about it. And I just keep talking. And I mean, that's another reason why I think like I can uh, I can say it's my favorite of the decade kind of with a bullet because I just there's just nothing like it talking about how great this movie is and picking apart each scene and just seeing the biggest fucking smile on my film teacher's face as we're just talking about it. It's like, it's like, it's so good. So I actually have the opposite on my face too. (laughs) I actually have the opposite side of that story. When I had my senior, uh, your film class, our, our class was shown a more and, um, Oh boy. You know, I don't know why we were (laughs) high school seniors were shown that, I, um, yeah, it was, that was that movie wild. is about a different that, kind of senior. It was, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. It's, uh, oh, it's good not one. good. Imagine being like, like so ready to leave high school and, and guys, like we got to slow things down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I got to look forward to dementia. It was, par- so we actually, in that class, we paired things. So like, um, 2001 and Blade Runner, like those kind of things were paired and we paired, um, more with Amelie. So I think like you can't get much different from that other than the yeah. concepts of love. And the A M name, is that why he paired him? Oh uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 Go by the alphabet. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Whatever's in um, the romance section. Uh so I I think the reason I love this movie so much if we're talking like sweeping, you know, declarations about it. Um Clay, you mentioned this is a part of Florida we haven't really seen before. Uh, I think that this is like a story about people that you don't see that often in Mm-mm-mm. in movies. And no, you know, as much as you should. Right. I don't. Yeah. And it's uh, when this first came out, I, I wrote a review for it, and my review is centered around the concept of empathy and how you know Black in the final segment. You know, he's a guy that if you saw on the street, you would like might cross the other side of the street. He's a scary looking guy. And you know, he's a crack dealer and he carries a gun and he's a very large intimidating black guy. But like, because we, and he has that grill and he has that car and he just blasts his music. And you know, but because we saw the first, you know, hour and a half of the movie, we feel a, a connection with him. We empathize with him. Like it's again, like, you see people like that in the world and you might feel one way about them, but like you, you see how he became that way and you understand how and why he became that way. Whether it's because, you know, Juan was the only person he could ever look up to or because he was hardened by his circumstances. He was hardened because he wasn't nurtured. He didn't get, he didn't get what he needed from people around him. And, you know, I don't blame Chiron for taking that chair to that dude, you know? And like, that's, and that's how, he became black is because he made that choice out of self-preservation and then had to go to jail. And then as he tells Kevin in the diner, like he got out of jail and someone put him on the corner and he worked his way up. So like, what else was he going to do? You know? Um, so it, it really helps you empathize with him. You really understand how he in some ways kind of never had a chance. And like, he just like needed someone to love him and he didn't get that. And, not from his mom, not from any any male role models, any you know his classmates for for damn sure, and that's why that's why the ending is such catharsis is because he's kind of he says to Kevin like no man's ever touched me the way he touched me you know he's he's finally 
letting himself be vulnerable probably for the first time since that beach. Maybe the only two times in his life he's ever been vulnerable was that beach and in Kevin's kitchen in that last scene. And it, you know, it's, it's really fucking lovely. And it's, it's really, something I I admired in this rewatch is like how they would fill the gaps in between chapters. Like, uh, um, during chapters one and two, that Juan's passing is such a, a void in the in the movie, but mm. it's not like you cut to Juan's funeral or something, uh, and like yeah. uh, Janelle Monet dressed in all black. It's not. It's nothing like that. It's just like you know. Um, I think it Paul takes was you like, a while yeah, to realize that he's not coming yeah, exactly, into the scene. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think you're just kind of waiting for him to make his return on the first time you're watching it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Paula says something like, yeah, I haven't seen Teresa since the funeral. Right. And then it just kind of like puts the confirmation on you. Just leave it there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's an excellent screenplay as we've, as we've kind of declared. I, I kind of want to go back to what you just said about like how it really breaks, breaks down the type of character and shows you, um, shows you the how it shows you how exactly that. I also, it's a form of breaking down prejudice. And I mean, I'm not saying this movie cures racism or homophobia. I'm saying it, it really. Oh my god! It well, really one, breaks, guys. <laughs> um, it, it it really breaks down the idea. It, it breaks kidding, down your way, own. On, on the record, yes. I'm kidding. Sorry. Yes. Um. It it breaks down prejudice in the sense of the under your understanding of it and the, and like your own understanding of it. And um, just like, yeah, like think you're, you're thinking to yourself of you know, whatever, like Juan, for example, as like me personally, a white kid, a white kid when I watched it, like as an audience member who's never experienced anything close to anything that happened in the movie. I'm like, oh, Juan, he's a drug dealer. That's probably he's probably like bad or has this weird side to him. He like like yeah. in the first scene, yeah, yeah. he's pretty intimidating. But then Very. you show like really just heartfelt empathetic soulful wise person who is so loving and wants to be better in the world and and not only that but like because of what we see chiron go through to become who he becomes that kind of also explains juan retroactively it really does how did juan get to be where he was at well he probably didn't go through the exact same thing but like you just see how you become that person and like how juan might have become that person just to his his environment demanded it you know that's how you survive possibly it's, yeah griffin newman on just, the blank check podcast will talk about um like actors changing the temperature of a movie when they enter a mm, scene and yeah like christoph waltz in bastards yes. is kind of the prime example of 100%. that but i at mahershala when he and he we spend the first scene with him so i mean it's, yeah, I, I think you can kind of even more of a comparison to Waltz, and I think Mahershala is like the perfect marriage of character and actor. Um, Intimidating, has, but also soulful. You exactly. Know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he, he his the first scene is all his, and the last scene of the first segment is also, you know, it's oh. him. It's, it's him coming to terms with like what he's doing to the community you know which by the way we haven't talked about that scene but when you said clay um like when uh chiron takes the chair to that bully mm-hmm. and you can kind of hear a pin drop in your theater yeah. when chiron asks what's a faggot 
that's yeah. yes. when you can hear a pin drop from my theater. Yes. I oh. remember just, just kind of like, I haven't heard that word ever, very rarely. I just, because that's just kind of the yes. evolution of our culture. And mm-hmm. I just, I wasn't, well, I mean, I wasn't around that environment that Ch- Chiron was in. And so that F word, it's like, yeah, you don't really use it as like a, an adjective as well as a noun, right? So yeah, it was I mean, very shocking. That, that, that whole exchange is devastating for a number of reasons because you're, it's, at, at that point, you know, there's allusions to why Little's getting picked on, but like that's the most explicit confirmation of that. And so like you, you're feeling for Little in that moment, <laughs> like a lot. And like Juan's feeling for little and like Juan is also reckoning with a lot of things. You know, Chiron asks him like, just do you sell drugs? Does my mom do drugs? And like, you know, in addition to what you just said, it, there's, there's a lot going on. And, and both, both Mahershala Ali and Janelle Monae in that scene are, are amazing. There's a, there's a brief moment. I can't remember what the preceding line is, but there's just a brief moment where Juan kind of like looks at Janelle Monae and she's kind of like very subtly shakes her head. Like, no, don't, you know, you're talking to a 10 year old. So, you know, don't go down that route, go down a different route. And, um, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Like the, and the, Alex just, Ebert who plays little Cheryl. So good. He, um, him and him and the kid who played young Kevin, they were both, um, oh, yeah. they were both in the same middle school drama class and they'd only been act. They'd only been in drama. class. Oh, that's for fun. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. And, um, that, that the kid who plays little Kevin is also just great. What's incredible? What's incredible is that the the three actors that who play Kevin all have the exact same energy, like yeah. particularly the little kid and and Jerome. Um, sorry, I was just gonna Jerome. say Jerome. Yeah. They have such similar cadences when they talk and like similar yeah. energies, and and it's it's really great casting. The best. The reason why Javante Rhodes doesn't get enough credit, be, uh, and it just goes off to your point of like the how he the capturing of each the character from three actors, um, from three different actors how they capture the same character. The reason why Javante Rhodes does not get enough credit for his role in the uh, third half is because he has to take all of those performances in the last two halves. And I don't know even if he was on set when they were filming that. Barry Jenkins was very footage. adamant about none of the three actors should ever meet. Especially because he's a different person. Black yes. is a different person than Chiron. You but know? he is, but he isn't. Because there's these things. He looks down. like When he, when he sees, um, when he is talking with Kevin at the table... He it uh, it goes straight back to him eating with um, Juan for the first time at that fast food place. Yep. He just keeps looking down at his food, someone avoiding feeds, eye contact. Someone feeds being him and all quiet. Three segments. Yeah, it's like know. he's exactly like the way he, again the his his mannerisms and his habits uh, or and he's t- this ticks of avoiding eye contact, looking down. Also, same when Janelle Monae feeds him in the second segment. It's so yeah. and that's so fucking perfect it's like mm-hmm. the reason why i think trevante rhodes is so exceptional in this film um was the din- was the um dining room scene uh where like do you do, do you sell drugs that was mahershala's oscar clip right i kind of distinctly remember that it's it either was, that or when he tells um or the bad story the, yeah the ba- post post baptism scene yeah yeah i think it might have been the table scene though i can't i can't remember now i think it's but. the table scene because i remember it they really wanted to show showcase that pin drop of like we you know uh, either what's a what's an F word or um, do you do sell drugs? drugs? And then There's when he the one. Alex Hibbert gets up from the table and you just you we stay with Juan just like a single tear goes down and then and just that's the last scene. 
cut to black. It's that's, so uh, unresolved, mm-hmm. and that's so fucking ballsy. Yes. How fucking ballsy! Like your your most like I, I don't want to say lovable character, but your most um he's the main character of the first segment. He is the main character of the first segment. Your most magnetic character, yes. at least, yeah. have his fucking arc completely unresolved. Mm-hmm. How ballsy! Like that's just so. I mean. I, I mean, we, I, and also, if you guys zoom into his tier, you can see a little Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> you can. It's weird. Yeah, if it's, you can't. Miss it. I guess they added that in post. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it actually happened. It was oh. it was improv. So something I just want to highlight um, that I noticed on this rewatch too, on the production design, um, when uh, um, Sharon, I know I know his name. When Sharon goes to stay in this guest bed, this guest bedroom that Teresa has, I, I don't know, like it looks exactly like or very similar to this room that my family has in Florida. I, I don't, hmm. I don't know. It's 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 something like that, or it's just like I don't know how he did it, but he tapped into something that I know that is real and tangible and still exists. It's because it's so authentic it's, it, and natural. Yeah, I. I don't know what what words there are to describe that. I know what you mean, though. I do, I definitely know. Like, that breeze thing, man. That breeze is just, like, the way he describes it. I'm like, yeah, it's incredible. Like, that breeze is something. You guys, you guys recognize something in the movie from your from your life, yeah. Yeah, exactly. About, and we've oh, only had limited experience in Florida. Uh, about that uh, that that scene, Jack, that you are just talking about is, uh, again, from the commentary track, Barry Jenkins' commentary, he mentions that in the first segment when we see Juan and Teresa's house, like, it's in the middle of being painted like part of the house is pink and part of it's white and there's like paint cans everywhere and you're like what he's trying to say is like it's he's not we're not sure if it's going to become pink or become white and then in the second segment the house is all white and like Juan is gone so it's like him being you know not erased but you know his his presence is no longer there you know i think that terrell mccranny should give part of his genius to barry I think that's what we're <laughs> learning here, oh, man. This man. Um, again, I, I've said it. I said it about just the beach scene. But again, you can you can study every second of this movie, every, every frame, and like learn something about filmmaking, about storytelling. Because it, 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 he 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 Barry Jenkins. I mean, most directors do, but Barry Jenkins really, like I say, he's a smart guy. He puts thought into every decision and every. Oh, it's so every, many details. Every, uh, yeah, exactly. And it's, I, I, please study this movie. <laughs> you can learn so much. <laughs> black has the same hood ornament as Juan does, uh, on his yeah. car and i've always just like that's just a perfect that's just that okay that shows you the difference that shows you if someone has ever asked me what 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 does it mean to be a great filmmaker and i know that's just one thing but that one thing to be me to me because it means so much in story-wise, it isn't just like a fucking Easter egg or some shit. It is metaphorical. It is figurative. It really illustrates an arc just by that one fucking object. Well, I, think I think that's for, so genius. For me, a great filmmaker, you have to have a black Ethiopian opal in your movie. Oh my god! And you have to—I don't know if there's something about and have that. To have Kevin Garnett in it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part. You have to have Kevin Garnett. That's okay, no, 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 no. You understand? Wait, wait. Yeah. This cannot turn into Uncut Gems. I just wanted to do that one joke, and then we're done. I cannot. I'm sorry, have but you this can distracted. Uncut Gems. I have to mention Kevin Garnett. 
No, but then it's just going to get worse. I don't know if I want to go on record with this, but I'm going to just put this out there as a possibility. Is, is Good Time better than Uncut Gems? Is that controversial? You're not wrong to think that, but you are wrong to say it. Okay. No, uh, no I, <laughs> I, I like Uncut. You know that's a little not more, a bad response. <laughs> I like Uncut more, but I mean, both are great. Um, we did cover Good Time, and we both love that movie. I don't know. Um, I've, I've seen them both a few times at this point. Me but, too. <laughs> but I, I do have to ask you, does Good Time have Kevin Garnett? Um, I'd have to double check, but I don't I think, think so. so. Mm-hmm. That's right. Does uh, Gems have Bakhtar Abdi? Just going to bring up Bakhtar Abdi, yeah. <laughs> that's Art, the Arcot. retort. That is truly the retort to have. Yes. Uh, but I'll raise you uh, My Francesa. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'll raise you buddy duress. I don't know. No. <laughs> we need to get uh, Mahershala in a safety. Yeah. Uh, I like direct blade. Is is he too like? I feel like he's too controlled for like the chaos of a safty movie. I don't and know. He can bring out that chaos. Yeah. I feel like he has a side a that we movie. haven't seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. Make have them direct blade. Motherfucker. Right. I'm just like I'm I'm so excited for blade. Are they doing a blade with Mahershala Ali? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's news he, to me. He he walked up. I love this story so much. He's at this party. I'm always going to talk about Marvel when I have the chance because I'm such a fucking shell. And you're going to um, talk about Blade when we talk about Marshall. Always. In a few uh, weeks, I think we're going to tell I'm, the story so, again. I made a video. I made I made a little edit. Um, I'll I'll post I'll post this again. I made a little edit of. Mahershala giving this really fun monologue of like who like I you know I'm the king or whatever um and and uh from in um in uh, Luke Cage and then I edit I cut straight to a clip from Wesley Snipes Blade and it's one of the better things I've ever done um but he, uh Mahershala Ali so he's at this party and Kevin Feige producer of all Marvel he um he's at this party Mahershala walks up to him and he's like I want to make a Blade movie and Kevin's like, okay, we'll make a Blade movie. What else do you say in that situation, though, when Mahershala Oscars at that time. Yeah. He and he, he walks in double fisted. Yeah, I was just going to say, he pulls them both in his pocket. Hey, that me and my two friends want to make a Blade movie. <laughs> Seriously. And I and I, oh, I just love that story. I can't wait because I just, I love him. Um, I do think we need to go to the favorite scene. Yes. We do. Um, but I want to ask one more question. Oh, boy. Um, I do also want to mention that Mahershala Ali is also, if I'm correct, the first act, uh, first Muslim to ever win an acting award. Yeah, I would believe that. Which is, yeah. and he, yeah, he I remember, his acceptance speech. He mentioned it. Yeah. Well, um, also there's some things going on in the world that would around, you know, it. Yes. February 2017 that would, you know. Yeah. It was possible oh. that he was, you know, accepting the award as a Muslim man, but. Just looking yeah, he, at he Asghar Farhadi, yeah, accepting um, salesman. Yes. Yeah. Who's who's our favorite performance? Oh, man. That's a great question. Oh, and honestly, if someone asked me, like, supporting, who would you nominate supporting actor that year? I almost want to put three people in for Moonlight. I almost want to put Cervante Rhodes, Andre Holland, uh, Andre um, Holland, and Mahershala Ali. Um, but Mahershala is my winner. Of the decade for supporting actor. Heinz Philip Seymour Hoffman for the master. Favorite performance in this movie, honestly, I mean, 
I might just, just be some contra- I might just be contrarian and say Andre Holland to be honest. I'm going with it's, Josh. That's a great pick. Yeah. Just the just the, 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 the tenderness of of Andre Holland in that in that final sequence and and how much um you know how much he contributes to the just immense catharsis of that of that final sequence. Yeah. There's this moment where uh, Sharon says to him you're the only man who's ever touched me. And mm-hmm. Andre Holland looks back at him. And I think that single glance is like better than most movies last year. <laughs> like, yeah. my God, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how you do that. And when it, when he plays a song for him, he goes to the jukebox and like slowly turns around. Just like, yeah. And just that, that look they share, man. Why'd you call me? The song made me think of you. That yeah. kitchen whole portion is my favorite scene. That's my pick. Yeah. Uh, for all the reasons that are obvious and the ones that aren't obvious that we still have yet to discover with uh, subsequent Uh, watches. Again, I mentioned that you can study every every detail of this movie, the blocking of that kitchen scene, where they both start with their backs against the wall and Mm -hmm. Kevin slowly approaches Chiron and Chiron stays with his back against the wall, but like lets him be, he lets himself be cornered in that moment. Mm -hmm. And also the, like the production design of having like, Kevin's son, his drawings on the wall, and Cran, like just really, just a really nice touch. Like everything, everything about that kitchen scene. Yeah, that kitchen scene might be, yeah. might be my favorite too. But maybe I don't know. Maybe the diner. I don't know. And Andre yeah, is such a likable person too. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Incredibly charismatic. Because this like, made that is me like, go watch the the Nick. Any of you guys see the Nick? I've not seen the, the Soderbergh Nick, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's good in it. He's really like, excellent. You know, again, I mentioned how like how. Um, hazardous that that beach scene is how like how vulnerable both of them are and how like how do you navigate a situation like that yeah. same applies to the diner scene and the kitchen scene like you know he drove seven hours just to come you know first of all kevin calls him out of the blue after not talking to him for 10 years and then he drives down seven hours just to like see him and like that could potentially be an incredibly awkward uncomfortable situation but just andre holland's unbelievably disarming smile like as soon as he says like you know, yeah, I came down for you to cook for me. Andre Holland, instead of being like, what? Why the fuck would you do that? He just like smiles at him. And it's just so yeah. warm and, 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 and welcoming. And he, he does a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the work there. <laughs> Jack, Jack texted me, I think yesterday saying, does Andre Holland have the greatest smile like ever? And I'm like, it's pretty good. It's like him and Magic Johnson. Those are my like, two favorite smiles probably. <laughs> What? What are, you, what are you laughing at? Magic no, Johnson? No, it's just, that's it's so just out it's of so nowhere. Me. Yeah, it's, it's just ugh. out of nowhere. I just did not expect that. Oh, look, you know, um, my favorite scene, it's, it has to be, and this is probably like the most montage moment. Magic Johnson. That, <laughs> look up his smile. I'm not disagreeing. It was just. It, it is out of nowhere. That's all. That's all. That's all. But, but um, the most montage, meaning like the most, the moment that's used in the most like best film of the decade montages or best year or best films of the year montages is um the baptism is him mm-hmm. floating yeah. in the water with nicholas Patel's amazing score fucking score in particularly that piece middle of the that's West. the thing it's just it's yeah. i listen to it all the time Exquisite. it's Exquisite. it's fucking incredible it's and so guys, good clay just watched that, a succession uh, fantastic yeah. iconic iconic um the uh that scene of the the baptism again you learn this from the commentary track but they they thought they would have like six hours to shoot that scene but there was a storm coming 
And so they only had an hour and a half. And so they mm-hmm. got that in only an hour and a half. And if you look in the background, like behind them, like a dark, dark clouds are approaching. And like, yeah. you know, you can pull metaphor from that, I guess. But yeah. it yeah, is green. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I thought we'd get through this without mentioning Green Book, even though I mentioned. Even it though we have, and we have to in a few weeks too. I don't, I don't envy you guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the the sometimes like the necessity of of filmmaking can elicit some immaculate moments. I think that's one of them. You think you have all this time to get this sequence done, and it's a very important sequence, and you only have less than a third of that time, and it ends up being again one of the most transcendent scenes of the decade. Is that baptism scene. I just I just want say Mar- I just want Marshall to tell me that he has me. I just want I just want him to I got say you, I got man. you. I got you. I, yeah. promise, I just that, that's all I want in my life. I just like I would break down in a puddle of tears if Marshall Ali just came up to me like I got you. And I just would like I'm like thank you. You know me now. It's oh, this God. week and last week um that we had two guys tell a story like uh Mahershala here. And uh, Stanley Tucci in Spotlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank uh, you for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I really yeah. appreciate. It. Please, please, please come back on. We would love to have you again. Anytime, um, especially for talking Barry it, Jenkins movies. Yeah, I mean, we got. Well, unfortunately, there's only one more, but you know, <laughs> we'll make the most out of it. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Greg so Gerwig for... wins Best Picture. How about that? Uh, Maybe, I mean, <laughs> yes, we, 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 we could, we could do Little Women because we've already done Lady Bird. So unfortunately we've already done two out of the, uh, mm-hmm. two out of the, yeah. I mean, wait, we get to see another decade of them. So I'm happy with that. Maybe that's our sequel podcast. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can everyone find you on the internet? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm, uh, my name's Josh Bradley, but on Twitter I'm at Brosh Jadley. So you can go there. Oh, I love her. And then also uh, youtube.com slash movies I love. Nice. I am uh, on Twitter, Jack A. Draper. And my writing is on The Simple Cinephile. Uh, everyone can find me at Clayfilm100 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd. Um, yeah, next week we have Shape of Water with none other than Wes. The recurring, returning guest, Wes. I will never try to pronounce his last name. Musinski? It's yeah, I'm that sorry. challenging? West studio. I mean, <laughs> oh, that would be an incredible. Day. That'd be dope if we got. Stewie. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. What would we get him for? Anything. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> if he wants to talk about a, a, a wooden object, I don't know. Just like yeah. his phone. I just. Oh. Yes. Um. Yes. But next week we have Shape of Water with Wes. That'll be a lot of Wes fun. Wes Musinski is coming back on. Yeah, it's exciting. Um. Please. Uh, you can follow us at our Twitter account for the podcast at ETDPod. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. We are on Anchor. You can send in a voicemail if you want. Um, thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s.